Chapter 6 Pursuit A Deliberate Treachery Like haughty leviathans, the great golden battle barges swam through the wreckage of the Reaver fleet. A few ships burned and a few were still sinking, but most had sunk into the unplumbable depths of the channel. The burning ships sent strange shadows dancing against the dank walls of the sea caverns, as if the ghosts of the slain offered a last salute before departing to the sea depths where, it was said, a chaos king still ruled, crewing his eerie fleets with the souls of all who died in conflict upon the oceans of the world. Or perhaps they went to a gentler doom, serving Strasher, lord of the water elementals, who ruled the upper reaches of the sea. But a few had escaped. Somehow the Southland sailors had got past the mass of battle barges, sailed back through the channel, and must even now have reached the open sea. This was reported to the flagship, where Elric, Margum, Colum, and Prince Urkun now stood together again on the bridge, surveying the destruction that they had wreaked. We must pursue them and finish them, said Urkun. He was sweating and his dark face glistened. His eyes were alight with fever. We must follow them. Elric shrugged. He was weak. He had brought no extra drugs with him to replenish his strength. He wished to go back to Imrir and rest. He was tired of bloodletting, tired of Irkun, and tired most of all of himself. The hatred he felt for his cousin was draining him still further, and he hated the hatred. That was the worst part. No, he said, let them go. Let them go, unpunished. Come now, my lord king, that is not our way. Prince Irkun turned to the aging admiral. Is that our way, Admiral Margum Colum? Margum Colum shrugged. He too was tired, but privately he agreed with Prince Irkun. An enemy of Malnibane should be punished for daring even to think of attacking the Dreaming City. Yet, he said, the Emperor must decide. Let them go, said Elric again. He leant heavily against the rail. Let them carry the news back to their own barbarian land. Let them say how the Dragon Princes defeated them. The news will spread. I believe we shall not be troubled by raiders again for some time. The young kingdoms are full of fools, Urkun replied. They will not believe the news. There will always be raiders. The best way to warn them will be to make sure that not one Southlander remains alive or uncaptured. Elric took a deep breath and tried to fight the faintness which threatened to overwhelm him. Prince Urkun, you are trying my patience. But my emperor... I think only of the good of Malnibane. Surely you do not want your people to say that you are weak, that you fear a fight with but five Southland galleys. This time Elric's anger brought him strength. And who will say that Elric is, is weak? Will it be you, Erkun? He knew that his next statement was senseless, but there was nothing he could do to stop it. Very well. Let us pursue these poor little boats and sink them. And let us make haste, I am weary of it all. There was a mysterious light in Urkun's eyes as he turned away to relay the orders. 
The sky was turning from black to grey when the Malnabonean fleet reached the open sea and turned its prows south towards the boiling sea and the southern continent beyond. The barbarian ships would not sail through the boiling sea. No mortal ship could do that, it was said, but would sail around it. Neither the barbarian ships would even reach the edges of the boiling sea, for the huge battle barges were fast sailing vessels. The slaves who pulled the oars were full of a drug which increased their speed and their strength for a score or so hours before it slew them. And now the sails billowed out, catching the breeze. Golden mountains skimming rapidly over the sea, these ships. Their method of construction was a secret lost even to the Malnabanaeans, who had forgotten so much of their lore. It was easy to imagine how men of the young kingdoms hated Malnibane and its inventions, for it did seem that the battle barges belonged to an older, alien age as they bore down upon the fleeing galleys now sighted on the horizon. The son of the Pyre was in the lead of the rest of the fleet and was priming its catapults well before any of its fellows had seen the enemy. Perspiring slaves gingerly manhandled the viscous stuff of the fireballs, getting them into the bronze cups of the catapults by means of long, spoon-ended tongs. It flickered in the pre-dawn gloom. Now slaves climbed the steps to the bridge and brought wine and food on platinum platters for the three dragon princes, who had remained there since the pursuit had begun. Alric could not summon the strength to eat, but he seized a tall cup of yellow wine and drained it. The stuff was strong and revived him a trifle. He had another cup poured and drank that as swiftly as the other. He peered ahead. It was almost dawn. There was a line of purple light on the horizon. At the first sign of the sun's disk, Elric said, let loose the fireballs. I will give the order, said Margum Colum, wiping his lips and putting down the meat bone on which he had been chewing. He left the bridge. Elric heard his feet striking the steps heavily. All at once the albino felt surrounded by enemies. There had been something strange in Margum Colum's manner during the argument with Prince Urkun. Elric tried to shake off such foolish thoughts, but the weariness, the self-doubt, the open mockery of his cousin all succeeded in increasing the feeling that he was alone and without friends in the world. Even Simaril and Divim Tvar were, finally, Malnabonaeans and could not understand the peculiar concerns which moved him and dictated his actions. Perhaps it would be wise to renounce everything Malnabonean and wander the world as an anonymous soldier of fortune, serving whoever needed his aid. The dull red semicircle of the sun showed above the black line of the distant water. There came a series of booming sounds from the forward decks of the flagship as the catapults released their fiery shot. There was a whistling scream fading away, and it seemed that a dozen meteors leapt through the sky, hurtling towards the five galleys, which were now little more than thirty ship lengths away. Elric saw two galleys flare, but the remaining three began to sail a zigzag course and avoided the fireballs which landed on the water and burned fitfully for a while before sinking, still burning, into the depths. 
more fireballs were prepared, and Elric heard Urkun shout from the other side of the bridge, ordering the slaves to greater exertions. Then the fleeing vessels changed their tactics, evidently realising that they could not save themselves for long, and spreading out, sailed towards the sun of the Pyre, just as other ships had done in the sea maze. It was not merely their courage that Elric admired, but their manoeuvring skill, and the speed at which they had arrived at this logical, if hopeless, decision. The sun was behind the Southland ships as they turned. Three brave silhouettes drew nearer to the Melnibonean flagship as scarlet stained the sea, as if in anticipation of the bloodletting to come. Another volley of fireballs was flung from the flagship, and the leading galley tried to tack around and avoid it. But two of the fiery globes spattered directly on its deck, and soon the whole ship was alive with flame. Burning men leapt into the water. Burning men shot arrows at the flagship. Burning men fell slowly from their positions in the rigging. The burning men died, but the burning ship came on. Someone had lashed the steering arm and directed the galley at the son of the pyre. It crashed into the golden side of the battle barge, and some of the fire splashed on the deck where the main catapults were a position. A cauldron containing the fire stuff caught, and immediately men were running from all quarters of the ship to try to douse the flame. Alric grinned as he saw what the barbarians had done. Perhaps that ship had deliberately allowed itself to be fired. Now the majority of the flagship's complement was engaged with putting out the blaze, while the Southland ships drew alongside, threw up their own grapples and began to board. Where boarders? Elric shouted long after he might have warned his crew. Barbarians attack! He saw Urkun whirl round, see the situation, and rush down the steps from the bridge. You stay there, my lord king, he flung at Elric as he disappeared. You are plainly too weary to fight. And Elric summoned all that was left of his strength and stumbled after his cousin to help in the defence of the ship. The barbarians were not fighting for their lives. They knew those to be taken already. They were fighting for their pride. They wanted to take one Malnabonean ship down with them, and that ship must be the flagship itself. It was hard to be contemptuous of such men. They knew that even if they took the flagship, the other ships of the Golden Fleet would soon overwhelm them. But the other ships were still some distance away. Many lives would be lost before they reached the flagship. On the lowest deck, Alric found himself facing a pair of tall barbarians, each armed with a curved blade and a small oblong shield. He lunged forward, but his armour seemed to drag at his limbs, his own shield and sword were so heavy that he could barely lift them. Two swords struck his helm almost simultaneously. He lunged back and caught a man in the arm, rammed the other with his shield. A curved blade clanged on his backplate and he all but lost his footing. There was choking smoke everywhere and heat and the tumult of battle. Desperately he swung about him and felt the broadsword bite deep into flesh. One of his opponents fell gurgling with blood spouting from his mouth and nose. The other lunged. Elric stepped backwards, fell over the corpse of the man he had slain, and went down, his broadsword held out before him in one hand. 
and as the triumphant barbarian leapt forward to finish the albino, Elric caught him on the point of the broadsword, running him through. The dead man fell towards Elric, who did not feel the impact, for he had already fainted. Not for the first time had his deficient blood, no longer enriched by drugs, betrayed him. He tasted salt, and thought at first it was blood, but it was seawater. A wave had risen over the deck and momentarily revived him. He struggled to crawl from under the dead man, and then he heard a voice he recognised. He twisted his head and looked up. Prince Urkun stood there. He was grinning. He was full of glee at Elric's plight. Black oily smoke still drifted everywhere, but the sounds of the fight had died. Are we victorious, cousin? Elric spoke painfully. Aye, the barbarians are all dead now. We're about to sail for Umru. Elric was relieved. He would begin to die soon if he could not get his store of potions. His relief must have been evident, for Erekun laughed. It is as well the battle did not last longer, my lord, or we should have been without our leader. Help me up, cousin. Elric hated to ask Prince Erekun any favour, but he had no choice. He stretched out his empty hand. I am fit enough to inspect the ship. Erekun came forward as if to take the hand, but then... He hesitated, still grinning. Mm, but my lord, I disagree. You will be dead by the time the ship returns eastward again. Nonsense. Even without the drugs, I can live for a considerable time, though movement is difficult. Help me up, Erkun, I command you. <laughs> you can't out-command me, Elric. I am emperor now, you see. Be wary, cousin. I can overlook such treachery, but others will not. I shall be forced to... Erkone swung his legs over Elric's body and went to the rail. Here were bolts which fixed one section of the rail in place when it was not used for a gangplank. Erkone slowly released the bolts and kicked the section of rail into the water. Now Elric's efforts to free himself became more desperate, but he could hardly move at all. Erkone, on the other hand, seemed possessed of an unnatural strength. He bent and easily flung the corpse away from Elric. Erkun, said Elric, this is unwise of you. I was never a cautious man, cousin, as well you know. Erkun placed a booted foot against Elric's ribs and began to shove. Elric slid towards the gap in the rail. He could see the black sea heaving below. Farewell, Elric. Now a true Malnabonean shall sit upon the ruby throne, and who knows, might even make Simeril his queen. It has not been unheard of, and Elric felt himself rolling, felt himself fall, felt himself strike the water, felt his armour pulling him below the surface, and Erkun's last words drummed in Elric's ears like the persistent booming of the waves against the sides of the golden battle barge.